This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Father God in heaven, Lord, we glorify you. We praise you, Lord God. We thank you that you are the one true and living God. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you have made a change in our lives, that you have redeemed us, you have bought us back, that you have saved us, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that you will have your way tonight, Lord. We know, Lord, it is your desire, Lord, to speak to your people. It's your desire, Lord, to speak to our hearts, Lord God, to give us something, Lord, that will encourage us, that will strengthen us, that will build us up, Lord, that will prepare us for the road ahead, Lord. God, we just pray that you will speak and say what you need to say, Lord and have your way in all things. Amen. Amen. Tonight I want to speak on adjusting your perception. Perception is the organization, identification, and interpretation of sensory information in order to represent and understand the environment. All perception involves signals in the nervous system, which in turn results from physical or chemical stimulation to these organs. For example, vision involves light striking the retina of the eye. Smell is mediated by odor molecules and hearing involves pressure waves. Perception is not the passive receipt of these signals, but is shaped by learning, memory, expectation, and attention. It's not about what we just take in. It's not about what hits us, what we see in this world. It's about how we interpret it. It's important that as people of God, we interpret things correctly. It's easy to get caught up in things and just merely respond in a carnal way and see things in a a simply carnal way. But listen, if you have given your life to Christ tonight, if you have been changed, if you have had the Spirit of God poured into your spirit and changed you, then you've acknowledged that there's another element to this world. You've acknowledged another realm of, of this world, another existence. You've acknowledged that there's something else out there. And that makes all the difference. We can face things in our lives that make no sense. We can face things that we will not be able to answer if we answer purely on the carnal level. And it's important that we remember that coming to church, that reading the Bible, that praying to God is not an academic experiment. It's not an academic experience. This is not something where we just come along and we go, "Uh uh-huh. This has to be something that is here. Old time Pentecostal, we we used to talk about knowing it in your knower. You have to know it deep down. It has to be something real. This Christian life has to be more than mere actions. It has to be more than something we routinely do. It has to be something that is part of us. It has to permeate every element of our lives. It has to be real. This world is looking for something real. They're not looking for someone just to go through the motions. They see it every day. I see it every day. People just go through the motions. As believers, we are called from above. We are saved. We have got a new perspective on life. We, have, we are no longer pilgrims in the sense that we move from place to place. We are pilgrims in time. Because this time is not our time. The time that is ours is coming. 
And it's important that we have a perspective and a perception of our experiences that matches the reality in our hearts. God is a good God. What a perception. Right? First verse. Let's head to 2 Kings, if you have your Bible with you. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is a well-known passage of Scripture. If you haven't read it before, you've certainly heard it talked about. Someone preached a sermon on it before. Adjusting our perception. 2 Kings 6. I'm going to read a few verses here. This is just to lay a foundation, give us a starting point for where I'm going with this message tonight. 2 Kings 6, 14 says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. And Elisha prayed, And said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As I said, it's a very familiar passage. It's a very familiar story. But I want to take it a wee bit further. I want to lay the foundation with this this verse and then go further from there. How do you deal with an army from a country that is bigger than yours? Israel was faced by an enemy, Syria, which had a very, very mobile army, which had a very well-equipped army, which had a vastly superior technologically army. So how do you defeat that? In human terms, it's impossible unless, unless you can choose the ground for the conflict, unless you can array your troops in the correct manner to face the enemy have the, 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 the spearmen facing the horses and the archers facing the footmen. Things, simple things like that there. But in these days that this scripture was written or was referring to, they didn't have the, the knowledge that we have. They didn't have radar. They didn't have drones flying overhead. They had to guess. But in this case, Israel had Elisha. Elisha was the man of God who God, what God would do is God would tell Elisha, the enemy is coming this way, send, your, send the troops that way. So they would have a, a preemptive warning and they would go and they would array themselves at the gap or at the, the heights or at the strategic location and face the enemy and defeat them. The king of Syria was getting frustrated. He getting frustrated. He didn't know what to do because at every turning, the army of Israel seemed to know exactly what was going on. So he got his counselors together and they obviously had spies in the land and they said, what are we going to do? And he says, the problem is Israel have, has a man of God called Elisha and Elisha knows all the plans that you make in secret and he tells it to the king of Israel. And he goes, ah, that's right. Okay, we'll make a plan in secret and we'll go get him. And this is the, the moment where he comes to him. He bypasses all of Israel and goes straight, makes a beeline for Elisha. Now looking out, the young man, seen the hills, he's seen the valleys, he's seen the town that he had seen a million times waking up. Elisha was maybe still in the house and he came out that morning and there, there was something on the horizon. It was the enemy. Panic set in. 
He knew about the war. He knew about the armies moving back and forth. He was familiar with it. But here, for the first time, the enemy was on his doorstep. And sometimes the enemy's on our doorstep. Someone might have the enemy on your doorstep tonight. He might have been on your doorstep for a while. He might have been camped. You know, he's standing there at your door waving his flag. I'm here to defeat you. I'm here to wipe you out. I'm here to do a work on you that'll leave you desolate. That's what the enemy's saying. That's what the enemy's telling you. He might not have said it to you, but he might be going to say it to you. We don't know what this year holds. And I'm not, I'm not telling you it's going to hold bad things because it can hold great things, wonderful things, mighty things. But the truth is we live in a world that is hell-bent on destroying the people of God at times. Things come against us. The enemy would want nothing more than to, to distract and destroy the promises of God. Look at the work against Israel. You know, we know they're all their feelings, but you know what? They're the, they're the promised people of God. And look how many times over the years things have come against them, wave after wave after wave. Don't try and tell me that there isn't a spirit of this world which wants to destroy something that God has done. It's the only place on this earth that God has said, that is mine. So how much more us? Spiritually, we are the children of God, aren't we? Spiritually, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are now heirs and joint heirs with him, no longer strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, but now children of the most high God. How much more will the enemy come and wave his flag in our face? How much more will he come and, and destroy and wreak havoc? And it's possible for us to see nothing but the flags of the enemy. So that's why it's important that we get the right perception. It's important that we don't see what the enemy's showing us, but we, show, we see what God wants us to see. That we don't just see the enemy that's in front of us, but as the young man, as, as Elisha prayed for the young man, his eyes were opened and he seen the army that was with him as well. It's important that we do that as well. Romans 5, 7, 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Reign in life through one Jesus Christ. I love that verse. Reign in life. That doesn't mean some sort of, you know, super weird thing. That's a reigning over our circumstances. If you have Christ in your life, you have victory in your life. We might not have an embodiment of physical victory in our circumstances, but we don't have defeat. We've got an embodiment of victory in our lives. And with him in our lives, we can at the storm. All too often we're blown about by what we see around us, the things that happen in this world. <coughs> but it's important that we remember that we have given our lives to Christ. You know, if you... If you Yes, a few years ago now, I, I came to a point in my life before I met my wife, who's out the back, um, before I met my wife, where I, I seriously said to myself, you know what, I'm running to and fro looking for a woman. <laughs> it's, it's true, <laughs> but anyway, and I, I was running and running and running. <laughs> And I realized, you know what? I'm just running like a headless turkey all over the show. 
And I thought to myself, I'm a bit spiritual for you, but I thought to myself, you know what? I have given him my life. Do you think I can trust him with my heart? You know? And I prayed that. I prayed, Lord, I've given you my life. I can trust you with the details. I can trust you to work it out. I can trust you with the most important decisions I have to make. And even though I blew it and mucked up many times, after I prayed that, I became serious about it. And then it was I met my wife afterwards, of course. That's your happy ending there, Sarah. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you're standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. Where are you standing tonight? What are you standing on? What is your affecting the elevation of your perception? I use the word perception rather than perspective because perspective can be anything from an angle. Just, you know, we talk about the gospels and how each gospel has a different perspective of Christ. But perception is, is getting the same information, but evaluating it in a different way. So what you see and what you hear depends a great deal <coughs> on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. You think of the children of Israel. Goliath was raging against them. And they all looked at him and look at him. He's so big. We can't kill him. David stepped up and said, he's so big. I can't miss. It's the same perspective. It's a different perception. It's important that we do that that we change our perception, especially in this coming year, that we look at, things, look at things differently. We look at things the way we're meant to see them. You know the old rhyme, two men looked out from prison bars, one saw the mud, the other saw the stars. It's a different perception. William Blake, the famous poet said, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is infinite. For man has closed himself in till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. We do that. We, we limit everything. We bring it in. We allow the enemy to hammer at us, to beat at us. The artillery falls and we, we, we close up and we stop to think of the bigness of God. We stop to think of God's infinite ability. And it's easy to get into that siege mentality where all that we see is just through our fingers It's easy to get to that point where that's all you see. But I can tell you, God's a bigger God than that. God's still in the business of helping people. He's still in the business of getting involved. You know, Elisha didn't wake up one morning and suddenly, oh, I can see chariots everywhere. He didn't wake up that way. He didn't wake up with that. It was a lifestyle. It was a habitual thing. We don't like the word habitual. As Christians, that sounds a wee bit religious. But you know what? That's another perception. If you read the Bible and if you pray, if you go to church, oh, you must be a wee bit religious. You know what? Let me tell you a different perception. I read the Bible, I pray, and I get, I get to go to church. There's people out there who don't get the opportunity. They don't. Guarantee if they ban church tomorrow, we'd all be going like, I wish I was going to church next week. Guaranteed if they asked you to gather up your Bibles and throw them in the street and they're going to burn them, I guarantee you'll be hiding one or two. When faced by an enemy on the heights with artillery raining down, it's very late to start digging a ditch. It's very late to start building a barricade. You can do it. 
you'll have anxiety, you'll have stress. But I tell you, see whenever times are okay. See whenever you've got an opportunity. When there's a moment of, of peace, start building. Start preparing. The enemy's flags are over the, over the hill. We might not see them, but, but God has got a way of escape. I was reading the verse, Philippians 4, 7. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And as I mulled over that verse in relation to this changing your perspective, I thought to myself, you know, the word of God is so important. You know, the word, we need to get the word in more and more and more because it's the word that gives us a different perspective. It helps us change ourselves. We talk about the washing of the water of the washing of the water of the, the word and the renew your mind daily. We talk about those things. And I was thinking, you know, every time you read a verse, you file it away. The Holy, you, you file it away subconsciously. You file it away in your spirit. You file it away. And whenever the trouble comes, like a soldier, the Holy Spirit calls that verse to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit brings out sometimes, I've seen him bring out verses in my mind that I have, I forgot I even read. He brings it to remembrance. So every verse that you read, every passage you read gets in there. Keep putting it in there. Keep putting it in there. And when the enemy comes, the garrison is ready. They stand the attention on the Holy Ghost call. It's good to get the word into us. It helps us change our perspective because if all you're getting in is what the enemy's doing and all you're getting is the waving of the flags and all you're getting is what's in the news and what's in the media and what's on the TV and what your friends are saying, I can tell you 99% of your friends aren't saying the right things anyway. It's important that we've got the right things getting into us. Elisha here didn't wake up one morning. He had a lifestyle. He took over after the great prophet Elijah. Elijah the, was a huge character on the scene. He was a, a giant of a prophet. He had faced down the king and his wife. He had stood up to the, the, the prophets of Baal and killed him. He was a, a massive spiritual character. But you mentioned the name and people go, oh, we, all know, we know all about him. And Elisha came along in his wake. If you turn in your Bibles, just over to the left a bit. That was the introduction for all those for everyone who's taken score. <laughs> over to the left, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Second Kings 2, 1 to 6. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went uh, with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah, Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. 
And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here. And the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they went on. You can read that passage and you can brush over it sometimes. It's, it's a filler. It's a bit of narrative. But I think Elijah, the wily old prophet, who knows that Elisha is to fill his room, according to 1 Kings 19, it says, a man to fill his room, to take his place. He knows that this is his last opportunity to put something into the young man, to instill a lesson that will keep him in good stead for the road ahead. And you know what? It's also a good lesson for us. Elijah's not in a panic here. He's not running around trying to finish off his last details. It, it actually reminded me when I was reading this passage, my, my granddad passed away a number of years ago now. But the week before he passed away, or two weeks before he passed away, he said to my dad, he says, take me to Sainfield, show me the old farm. Take me to Dramara, show me the old farm. Take me to Laganani and show me the old farm subconsciously he was doing an old tour of his old houses and then it was shortly after that he passed away. I'm not saying he was Elijah or anything out there, but Elijah's doing something important here. He's showing the young Elisha some, some things that are going to keep him in good stead, something to hold on to. He's preparing him for the road ahead. You know, they didn't have a Bible like we have. They didn't have dictionaries and concordances. But they had a great tradition of passing on stories and things that had happened to each other. They had an oral tradition and places and names had great significance with them. So I'm going to look at these here three places that they came to and the significance of the three places and how they apply to us today. You remember when David flew, fled from um, Absalom, when Absalom had, had turned all the hearts of Israel against King David, where did David go to? He went to the place that we started with, the place of the two camps. He went to that place to remind himself that those who are with him are as just as important as those who can't see. So it's important that we remember that as well. So the first place they came to was Gilgal, or they started from was Gilgal. Gilgal was the... In Joshua chapter four, it's the first place the children of Israel came to. They crossed over the Jordan. They came to Gilgal and next Gilgal, they pitched their tents. They had finally arrived in the promised land. Gilgal is a place of the promise. The promises of God will affect your perception of the banners of the enemy. The promises of God will affect your perception of the enemy. They brush over it. Promises, yeah, that's nice. It's nice, but it's important. Martin touched on it this morning. The promises of God are important to us. The children of Israel were known as the children of promise. What did God say to Abraham? In Isaac, your seed, in, in Isaac, your seed will be called the children of promise. Isaac, the child of promise. It's important that we appreciate the promises of God. Our perception of the things that we face is affected by the promises that we hold. You know, this world makes some promises all the time. Every day we hear people making promises. Every day at altars like this, 
A man and a woman comes together and makes a promise. Every day promises are broken. Not just those, but others. Businesses, friends, families, all make promises. Promises are intricately attached to the character of the person making the promise. It's intricately attached. Whatever the character of that person is like, you can depend on the promise or not, as the case might be. Sharon and I were at the beginning of November. We went to Poland. Had a great visit. Krakow is a, a, a great city to visit. But while there, we went to Auschwitz and Birkenau, the two death camps. They weren't concentration camps. They're death camps, camps that were designed for the extermination of Jews. You see, as you walk through those rooms, you see in graphic detail the systematic, machine-like way with experimentation and execution that they fulfilled their final solution. You see it there, and in the horror of it all, you realize it's just inhumane. The thing that affected me the most wasn't just the age or the, the men and women. It wasn't just that. The thing that affected me the most was the promises that were made. All but two governments in Europe participated and helped them transport the Jews. All but two. They all willingly told the Jews, we don't want you. You don't want to be in our communities because everyone's going to be hostile towards you. We want to get rid of you. We want to send you off to somewhere else, a country of your own, a place of your own, and you can be happy and peaceful on your own. And they believed it. Bring your valuables. Write on your case your name. And you've seen the cases with their nice, sometimes nicely written names. Get on the train. Take them, to a, take them down the road to Poland, to Krakow. Or to Auschwitz, I should say. They told them a promise. We want, to go, we want you to be happy. We want you to be peaceful. Live in your own. They brought them in on the trains and you've seen pictures with thousands of them and only four guards and none of them armed because they didn't think there was anything bad going to happen. They hadn't evaluated the character of the one making the promise. They willingly got off the train, left their belongings. They willingly walked down the road to the showers. Remember your number on that hook? Leave your clothes there. Go into this room and have a shower. And their promises were revealed for what they were. See, the world can make promises. The world makes strong promises, big promises sometimes. They make promises sometimes that lead to good things. They, they hint at it might be a good ending. You have to remember the character of the one making the promise is, a, is a contingent upon the result of the promise. Sometimes this world can even make bad promises. Do that and this will happen. There's threats over believers not to stand up for their faith, not to be vocal in their faith, not to share their faith. Oh, people will talk. Things will happen. You'll embarrass yourself. Promises of the enemy and promises of the world. I tell you, they're negative promises. But we are children who have been saved. We have been given a whole new set of promises. And it's important we get those in there. It's important we get those promises deep down. It's, it's important that we hold on to those promises. 
God does not promise us a life full of good times and easy money. God does promise that he will enter into all things and bring good out of it. He promised his peace that passes all understanding. He has promised that he will prosper you in ways that moth and rust will not corrupt. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 91, 14 and 15. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on a high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for his promises. They're better promises. They're good promises. They're ones that you can rely on. His promises are attached to his character. The promises of God are important to us. We should cherish them. Read the Bible. Study the scripture. C.H. Spurgeon said when he was down, he would read the Bible until a verse would stand up and salute and say, I was written just for you. Hold on to the promises of God. Stir them up. We need to hold on to them. These are important to us. There's not enough holding on to promises, in my opinion. That's just my two bits. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and deliver them from all their troubles. What troubles are you in tonight? What banners are the enemy waving in your face tonight? Has he got a big banner? Promise that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Never leave you nor forsake you. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Praise the Lord. That would get you going. He hears and he delivers. That's good news in my book. Praise the Lord. Fear not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Praise the Lord. What was that enemy saying to you earlier? What was he saying? What was the banner saying? Defeat, destruction, desolation. I'm telling you, I would rather listen to a a higher power. I would rather hold on to a promise. Might have been written 3,000 years ago or two and a half thousand years or 2,000 years ago. doesn't matter to me. It's still good enough. It was good enough for them and it's good enough for me. But God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His ability to fulfill his promises hasn't changed. By God golly we need more of that in our lives and the Lord he it is that doth go before thee he will be with thee he will not fail thee neither forsake thee fear not be not dismayed what are you facing this week I tell you I go before thee he goes before thee he will not fail thee neither forsake thee fear not neither be dismayed praise the Lord It's not just words, they're living words. They're words that can affect you. The words that can affect your situation and the words that affect your perception. What a promise, what a God. Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Do you need to be reminded of the promises? Do you need to know that he is there? He is. He has given us exceeding great and precious promises. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for his promises. They can be depended upon. D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. 
God's promises are like, like stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. You know, we need to do that. Get, just get those promises. You know what? Get a promise. Read the scriptures. Get a promise and hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on like your life depended on it. <coughs> hold on to the scriptures. Hold on to the promises of God. It is the promises of God and our faith in the promises and the character of the one who made the promise that will dictate how we perceive those enemies' flags. The children of Israel left Egypt to go to the promised land. Children of promise. Praise the Lord. Mountains don't seem so big whenever they're put up beside God, put up beside his promises. So the first place they started out was the place of Gilgal, the place of promise. The second thing that will affect your perception is Bethel. Genesis 28, 10 to 22. I'm sure we all know the story where Jacob was lying and he had his head on the rock and he had the vision of the ladder and the angels going up and down. And this was the place of the presence the place of the promise, now the place of the presence, the presence of God. It represents God's involvement in the affairs of men, God's active involvement, his awareness of everything that's going on. I think we sometimes forget that we have the presence of God with us. We get to the point where we, we associate the presence of God with a feeling, which is very dangerous. Because then every time you get a feeling, you'll wonder if it's the presence of God. But there is a knowledge that the presence of God is with us. There's a knowledge that he is with us. You know, it's a bit of a cliche. We say it whenever someone comes to know Christ, that they have asked him into their heart. We know what they mean. It means that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us. That God has come to live in here. The presence of God might not be felt, sometimes it is, and wonderfully so. Sometimes he comes on the scene and stirs us and our bodies feels like electric, but other times we don't need it. We don't. We, we need to remember that he's there. We need to focus on him, meditate on the word, meditate on him, and we need to stir that up in ourselves. The presence of God, now on this page, God is actively involved in Exodus 33, God tells Moses to take the children of Israel, take them up, go up there. And Moses says to God, I will not go up except thy presence goes with us. He knew the important, importance of having the presence of God in his life, in the children of Israel's life, because this, the, the presence of God is a sign of his approval, of his involvement. You know, whenever you're facing the flags of the enemy, it's not a case of what am I going to do? God, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this? I'm your child. I've given you my life. I can't answer this problem. What are you going to do? It's a, it's a confidence in that, that he is with us. It's knowing that God is with us. You know, I love the Christmas season. I know it's over now, but I love that, that it's the only time of year we ever talk about, you know, Matthew 1, it talks about Emmanuel, God with us. It's, I don't know why it's the only time of year we talk about that word, Emmanuel. I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but I, don't, I think it's ridiculous. God with us. God with us. God with us in our everyday. God with us when we face problems. God is with us whether we feel it or whether we don't. He is with us. 
He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're facing. He knows what's on the road ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't even understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he holds my hand. Something like that. We can trust him to be with us. We invited him to come into our lives. You know, whenever we talk to our friends and our families, I might have mentioned this before, and they look at all the suffering, they look at what's been going on in France this last few days, they look at the Middle East, and they look at things around the world, and they, they don't understand how God can allow all that. God is there. He might not be doing big supernatural things. God's, God's here. God didn't come and, and sort of stand over the, the balcony of heaven and, and wind everything up and just let it go and do it its own thing. He just doesn't stand there and listening to the choir of heaven, stroking his beard. No, 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 no. He limited himself. He came down. He didn't, didn't ignore the suffering and hurt and pain of this world. He got involved in it. As Ma Martin was saying this morning about the healing the, the blind man, he got involved in the nitty gritty details. He was there. He walked side by side. And at the end of the time, he came to the cross, the place of the ultimate suffering. He's, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're involved in. He knows what you face. But the promise is that he will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your perception of the problem will be affected by the awareness that his presence is with you, that he is with you. It doesn't take much. I can remember as a child, my mum my said to me, you know, whenever I was in, struggling with things, he said, you know, Jason, just sit down and say his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It makes a difference. Gets his attention. He's there. He's involved with this. It's important that we're aware of his promises and that we're aware of his presence. And thirdly, Jericho was in the final place they came to. Joshua uh, 6 talks about the walls of Jericho. The children of Israel came to the walls of Jericho and they marched around it, as we all know. It's a great story. It's a great lesson. But this was the place of the power of God. So he came to the promise, the presence, and then the power. The power of God makes all the difference. You know, if I had been writing this, if I had been the one organizing this, and if some other people had as well, they'd have put it par first. It's important to be aware of the par, then the presence, then the promise. But that's not the way God did it. Because God wants us to operate our faith. You don't operate your faith if you're just saying par all the time. You operate your faith when you stand on promises. Then you do as you get the presence, then you get the power. That's the way God wants things done. The power of God is something that is that we have seen in our lives, at the very least, all of us have seen it at the moment of salvation. Romans chapter 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a part of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The power of God, the mystery of it, how God translates us from darkness into light. He does it spiritually. He does it spiritually at the moment of salvation when we accept him as our savior, as accept him as our Lord. It's important we do that, savior and Lord. We just didn't give him eternity, we give him now as well. It's a mystery how he does it. 
but he does it by his power. He translates us and he can translate us in situations as well. Whenever the enemy comes against us, the power of God can make all the difference. That doesn't mean that he's going to part, part the building and kick someone out of the room. But he can do things whenever you believe in him, when you depend upon him, when you ask him to, 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 to intervene. As Martin said this morning, when you cry unto him, he hears. He's promised to hear. I've been in situations where I've had no way out and I've called unto God and he's supernaturally moved people, moved people out of my life. I'm not saying he killed them, he gave them promotions, but it still got him out of my life. That's the way he works. He's a good God. We, we all get very apprehensive when we talk about miracles and stuff like that there because there has been a lot of misuse of talk of the language of it and stuff. But we are still the people of God. God, as I said at the beginning, this is not, we're not here merely as an academic experience. Uh, I, I want a wee piece of knowledge to help me on the way. We are the people who have acknowledged another realm we have, we have come to God, God, the creator of all things. And he can get involved in things. He can be involved in our lives. He can bring healing, deliverance. Some of us are going through things in our lives where we're, what we used to call it oppressed. We used to call it oppressed. They don't call it a million other names now. But where there's things that are playing on our minds, weighing on us heavily, bringing us down, restricting our ability to praise God, to worship God, to share our faith, to be a light in the darkness. It's like putting a blanket over a candle and it slowly brings the light down. Well, God's still in the miracle work and business. He still delivers. What did he say in Luke chapter four? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God is still in the miracle work in business. He's still in the miracle work in business. What flags do you see in the, on the horizon today? What flags are on the horizon tomorrow? This year, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Hold on to his promises. Remember his presence and his power. Our perception of the things before us will be shaped immeasurably by our understanding of the power of God. The power of God is realized in his ability to deliver. Just remind, I almost forgot this quotation. This is great. Now, this will fasten your seatbelt, Becky. The power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. As holiness is the beauty of all his attributes, so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step in to execute them. Without power, his mercy would be but feeble pity. His promises an empty sound, his threatenings a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. And Becky said, yes! Glory to God. The power of God makes all the difference. You know, that, that used to be the thing about Pentecostals. 
You know, we believed in the power of God. Believe that God moves. He's still the same God that he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He'll be the same God tomorrow. Daddy, God is still in the... God still has the ability to deliver you from whatever you face. He, oh my goodness. He, has, he can lift you up. He can change that situation. All it takes is one phone call. All it takes is one email, one conversation. God can do it. I believe God can do it. God can do anything. Why do we limit him? Why do we limit him? We, sh- we shouldn't limit him. God is a big God. God is a big God. So you adjust your perspective by remembering the promises, the presence, and the power of God. It should be worth noting as well. I mean, it wasn't the place that Elisha came to, but one thing Elisha did exhibit in his time when he's following Elijah, one thing he did exhibit was tenacity. He held on. Elijah kept saying, wait here. And Elisha said, no, we need more of that as well. It wasn't a place, it's an experience, it's a decision. I want more of that. I won't let go. Tie a knot, hold on. Just, that's my promise, and I want that. Thank you, Lord God. God's a good God. Father God in heaven, Lord, we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one true and living God. We thank you that your promises never change, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives, Lord, for the hope that you have given us, for the rock that we stand on, Lord God, and for who you are, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you bless us and keep us and have your way in all things, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.